From the Centre for Corporate Health and Resilia, this is Psychosocial Safety at Work, a podcast where we pick the brains of our experts, clients and partners on how best to navigate psychosocial risks in the workplace and create psychologically safe cultures for those working in them. I'm your host, Nicola Johnston, and for our first ever episode, we couldn't be talking about a more important topic, asking those we care about, are you okay? The last 18 months have seen our usual life challenges compounded by the pandemic. So today I'm joined by Rachel Clements, Director of Psychological Services here at the Centre for Corporate Health and Resilia, and Catherine Newton, Are You OK Day CEO. Join us in a discussion about how we stay connected and how to engage in authentic Are You OK conversations. Welcome, Rachel and Catherine. Hello, thank you for having me. Thanks, Nicola. Thanks for having us. Rachel, if I could start with you, what have you and your team noticed in the last 18 months in relation to how people are coping with the pandemic and the impact this is having on their well-being? Yeah, thanks, Nicola. We've certainly seen that this pandemic is having a significant impact on people's well-being. At the Centre for Corporate Health Group, we have studied the psychological well-being phases that we are all in and out of as we progress on the COVID-19 roller coaster, and uh, we continue on that journey. So what we firstly notice is that people, as soon as we see an escalation in COVID-19 cases, we tend to go into this state of fear and anxiety and panic, and that is where, once again, recently, We saw uh, the toilet paper flying off the shelves. We saw people hoarding food. We saw people buying medication for medical conditions that they didn't even have as a result of that intense fear and that panic. What we do see then is that when we start to go into lockdowns, we enter into wellbeing phase number two, and that is a state called a psychological state called languishing. That is a state where we feel absolutely exhausted and even burned out from our usual way of life. The lockdown is very tiring and very fatiguing for people. We see people not operating at their best. Their prefrontal cortex is taxed. People start to make more errors or more mistakes. We get a sense of Groundhog Day. We've lost our memory markers for events. So the days may start to blur into one. And that psychological state of languishing, sometimes it's hard to get motivated. Sometimes it can feel as if it's hard to get out of bed in the morning. But what we do know about that state of languishing is that if we can look after our well-being and prioritise our well-being at that time, we come out of that state and we certainly enter into well-being phase number three. And that's correlated with as our COVID-19 restrictions start to ease and our numbers head into the right direction, we certainly see we adapt and we accept this situation. Situation. We return to a state of positive emotion. We have hope, we have optimism towards the future. But what we do know about this uh, roller coaster of COVID 19 is it is absolutely tiring. It is absolutely taking a lot of wear and tear on people's well being. And when we layer the well being phases with everybody's personal realities, everybody is in this situation, but from very much having a different experience of that situation. So for example, we have some people saying, I'm homeschooling three children under the age of 10 and trying to work full time at the same time. We have other people now saying, I've not seen my loved ones overseas now for over 18 months. And that's certainly taking a toll on me. We are seeing a concept of ambiguous loss all the losses of the last 18 months now starting to catch 
up with us, the lost opportunities, the lost travel, the accumulation of disappointments, the lost um, celebrations we may have been able to have. The year of the, the losses are really catching up with people and people are almost experiencing a sense of grief around that now. We are also seeing a sense of uh, anxiety where people may say, I have a health condition and I'm feeling really uh, anxious about uh, catching COVID-19 and I've been very vigilant about my health. We have other people saying, I've experienced grief and loss this year and it's now having a harder impact on me right now. So we are seeing people Every single person has their own personal reality and now this is absolutely falling on de our depleted well-being because we've been now in this holding pattern of restrictions and lockdowns, easing of those, getting into new patterns and routines now for, for over 18 months and we're absolutely now seeing an escalation now in mental health conditions and, uh, and wear and tear on our well-being. Yeah, Rachel, that's not surprising at all and everyone definitely has their own personal challenges through these um, through this lockdown. Catherine, could you talk a bit about the Are You OK Day campaign this year and uh, why it is so important to remind ourselves of this message? Yes, thank you. I'd love to. And it very much um, comes off the back of everything that Rachel's just mentioned. Um, we all have life. It happened, you know, happened to all of us. We've got home, we've got work. And now we have pandemic and all of these compounding factors, as Rachel has explained, can really take their toll. But quite often, um, you know, particularly here in Australia, we have the notion of we're, we're, we're pretty lucky. We're doing OK. You know, we're, um, you know, I'm OK. I'm doing all right. And we don't really tend to admit when things aren't going so well. And so the theme for this year's Are You OK? is considering, do you know how the people in your world are really going. So we're asking the question this year, are they really okay? Ask them today. Because chances are someone around you is going to be struggling, whether they're letting you know or not. And a really important piece of when we're looking out for those we care about, whether that's our friends, our family, or our colleagues that we work closely with, quite often we'll spot the signs that someone's not doing so well. And they're the, the things that Rachel has mentioned. They may not be performing as well. They may not be um, they may not be engaging as well. They may not be on top of their game, I think is how Rachel described it. So there's these signs that we can see, but sometimes people have their, their masks really firmly on, and it will be very hard to see that someone's struggling beneath that mask. So this year we're asking you to, to think about who might be struggling, who's got a lot on their plate, because your genuine support can make such a difference to people. We know that conversations and connections are a crucial part of, um, of life, of being a human being. And we're asking people to not wait until people are showing signs of visible distress. It all comes down to regular conversations, just normal catch-ups, how are you going, how are things for you, so that we can really perhaps pull back some layers and to say to people, you know, I know you've got a lot on your plate, are you really okay? I'm here to listen. It's so true, Catherine. And I know that I have been on the receiving end of some really lovely Are You OK conversations uh, from colleagues. I know that my situation is definitely not the worst by any means, but, you know, I'm working from home with my partner. We're both trying to work. 
I've got a six-month-old baby, I've got a three-year-old with special needs and I know that I'm turning up to Zoom calls looking a bit dishevelled, um, you know, maybe haven't brushed my hair that morning, um, mm-hmm. things like that that usually aren't me um, and I know that people have noticed that um, mm. and people have asked me, colleagues, numerous colleagues have asked me, you know, are you okay? Are you mm. really okay? Um, mm. And while we are, we, we are okay, I think we've just accepted that this is a situation and we we have no choice but just to keep plodding along and, and doing our best. But just having people ask that question has meant so much to me. Um, Rachel, I know that while these types of conversations are common in our workplace, um, we've got a very psychologically safe workplace. Not everyone's in that situation. Maybe their workplace isn't as open. Uh, How important is an organisation's culture in creating the right environment for having these are you okay conversations? That's a great question, Nicola, because really the organisation's culture is so important to be able to set up Are You OK conversations for success. So many, many organisations or many people may feel as if uh, if I come forward to actually say I'm not okay, and the fears are often numerous for people, will I be overlooked for promotional opportunities at work? Are people going to think that I am permanently um, impacted forever? Uh, am I going to be viewed a, a little differently? Will I be treated differently? Will people be gossiping or talking about me behind my back? So, a lot of those concerns can be very real for people around the concern about is my team psychologically safe for me to step into? So I do think that that's such an important role that we all have a role to play in that is setting up a great psychological safety culture in my team. And I just think it's about keeping it really simple. It's about having good trust, just putting those emotional deposits in the trust account and contributing to that. So it's very much around you know, how do I as an individual act and behave what we probably like to see the most in order to establish that trust account is empathy, is concern, is care, is just being able to listen without judgment, listen without troubleshooting, listen without having all of the answers, being able to talk to someone without fear that there's going to be a negative repercussion or a negative consequence if I come forward and say I'm not at my best at the moment. And people would like to feel as if I'm supported if I come out and and say I'm not at my best rather than having a, a fear that, oh, I'm not sure how this is going to be received. I'm not sure whether there's going to be a negative reaction. Will I be made to feel negative? Will I be made to feel incompetent? Will I may be made to feel intrusive? You know, if we we do a quick cost-benefit analysis in our mind and if we perceive in a split second that the cost is way too high, it overrides the benefits, then even if I'm invited into an Are You OK conversation, I might not participate. So we just want to make sure that we're establishing the benefits for people up front. And this is our behaviour every day. You know, I always say to people it's around how you 
act and behave every day? Do you uh, listen to people when they come and talk to you? Do you show empathy and kindness and concern every day? Do you go out of your way to get to know people a little bit at work and a little bit outside of work? Do you give uh, appreciation and gratitude to express that? You know, these are all small things, but they do go a very long way to putting those emotional deposits in the in the trust account. And if the trust account is nice and high, if it's nice and full, then I'm very I'm very likely to be able to honestly and authentically step into an Are You OK conversation. Yes, it, I think that's why those Are You OK conversations at our workplace um, are really impactful because, you know, our trust account is very full. <laughs> Catherine, Are You OK Day does a lot of surveying around having these conversations. What are some of the barriers people perceive they're being to reaching out and asking someone, Are You OK? Yes, yeah, we do. We, um, we've put a survey out for this year um, that really led us to, to the theme, Are They Really OK? And it told us that um, 22% of people um, are feeling that there hasn't been an occasion where someone has needed their help. And that might be the case. I'm not saying that everyone's not okay and that there'll never be an occasion where people aren't aren't going along with life swimmingly. But, um, you know, if you think about that's one in five people uh, at the moment, as we've talked about with all these compounding factors, it's pretty likely that someone in your circle is, is going to be struggling a bit and isn't going to be as okay as they're telling you. So that's one of the barriers that people don't think that there's an occasion where someone might need some support. Um, and a, a number of people also are, are thinking that they need to wait for that visible distress, that people seem, need to be in a really bad way for them to lend support. And I think that comes off the back of what we often see when we do our surveys is that a, a, a key barrier that people um, to people asking the question is that people don't think that they're an expert. So sometimes people think they need to be a mental health expert, that they're going to need to be able to diagnose perhaps what's happening, that that they're a bit confronted. Um, it's a simple question, but there could be a bit of a complex answer. There's definitely a tendency when we love someone and we care for someone that we want to fix their problems. We want to make it better. We want to take their mm. pain away. But unfortunately, um, you know, we can't always fix things. For example, we can't fix grief. We're always going to lose people. It's very hard for us to fix a financial um, pressure or it's hard to fix a job problem when we don't work in that workplace and so we just naturally want to be able to help and fix but we're really trying to encourage people to to accept that you can't always fix but you can ask the question you can say I'm not an expert I can't fix this for you but I can walk with you on this journey I can support you let me take some of your load how can I support you and it's a really good um, a really good way of letting someone know openly that's that you've seen some signs that you want to help and ask them what you can do. Sometimes we think we know the answer of what might, what people might need or like, but I've had many, many occasions where I've um, asked someone, what can I do to help? And it's been quite a surprise. It was something easier than I thought, or it was something completely mm. different. So to really encourage people to ask open questions and, um, and really listen to the answer. Yes, and that, that's such a big part of it, is, is just having someone listen to you can make all the difference. Um, 100%, 100%. Yeah. We talk that all the time. When people mm. are given the opportunity to be heard, it helps them feel valued. It helps to validate what they're feeling 
and thinking and it lets them know that they're not alone. Yeah, it normalises what people are going through as well. Mm. Rachel, as we go in and out of lockdowns and as more people shift to this kind of hybrid work structure, those incidental conversations that we usually have around the office aren't happening as much. So how can we continue to be on the lookout for early warning signs um, that someone may not be travelling well when we aren't physically in front of them? Yes, this is certainly a challenge of working remotely and being in positions of lockdown right now in that it is it is much more challenging to spot when someone is not traveling so well. So we do have to have our radars finely tuned to be able to get good at this. So there's a few different ways that we can see well-being issues emerge. The first is I always encourage people that if you're having a workplace meeting and you're using uh, video to be able to do that, always ask people to come on with their cameras on because I do think that you can tell so much through how someone's looking. As you said before, Nicola, have someone brushed their hair? Are they looking more mm-hmm. dishevelled? Are they not wearing makeup when they usually are? Are they looking absolutely tired and exhausted? And I think in this environment, being able to have conversations with cameras on is actually vital and being able to, you know, see once a day, somebody in our workplace needs to view another person, just needs to see them visually. It might just be for five minutes, but we like to see people. Therefore, we can notice a change because one of the most common uh, changes that we notice when people start to deplete in their well-being is disconnection in pulling away. So you might then notice somebody's turned up for this meeting, but their camera's off and that's unlike them. Or it could be that they're not actually attending the meetings that we normally would have on a regular basis to to connect as a team and that's unusual for them. I do think we're really being finely attuned to how somebody sounds. Even if you're talking to somebody over the phone, how are they sounding? Is their tone sounding flat? Is their tone sounding overwhelmed? Are they speaking more rapidly and maybe showing signs of anxiety or adrenaline overdrive? Are they even tuning into the words that people use? Are they using words that they don't normally use? Words that are much more uh, pessimistic, words that are much more personalised, words that are much more rigid, words that are much more catastrophizing. So really listening, as Catherine was saying before, right now in this environment, it is absolutely about listening with your, your eyes, listening with your ears and listening with your heart. It is very much practicing that mindful listening. It may even be, I've seen well-being issues detected in this environment, even on uh, team conversations where somebody's been, they've been on a team meeting, a remote team meeting, and someone's made a comment on the chat and the comment hasn't sounded like them. And I've seen people directly message that person and say, you made that comment. That's unusual for you. Are you okay? And really even being able to pick it up that way, it can be people using different terminology in emails. Maybe their emails are usually quite chatty and, you know, full of, you know, 
social greetings and then suddenly you're getting one word emails back and that's unlike them. Maybe you're noticing just simple errors starting to emerge, you know, just little typos or minor errors in performance. That's certainly a sign that my, my mind is distracted right now. There's too many things on my mind. And maybe also it's more challenging to connect with people. Maybe people aren't returning your emails and that's unlike them. Maybe they're not returning their calls when you do reach out and that's not like them as well. So we do have to be very active in that mindful listening and mindful awareness. Have it on your corporate radar. As Catherine said, it is likely it is there in your life with someone that you know. Mm -hmm. So being able to just have it on, on your on your radar now, whether it's in a professional context or a personal context. And when you are asking the question, really listen to the words and the tone as well as the response. And Catherine, what are some of the ways you can shift the are you okay conversation to one that dives deeper to actually discover if they're really okay? That's a really good question because, um, you know, it often comes down to how well you know that person, but why are you asking? So is it that you're asking because it's a tokenistic greeting? Is it just the, hey, how are you going? And you're going to keep moving on. Is it that you think it's the right thing to do, so you probably better just do it? Um, or is it something that's, you know, going to make you feel better to, um, to kind of pat yourself on the back? So we really need to consider that we're being genuine and that there is mm. trust between these people, between two people, because what we want is for the other person, the recipient um, of this, of hearing this question, is to feel safe and comfortable. So we, I'd really encourage everyone to consider how and why am I asking this question? How can I find a moment that's going to um, that's going to be best for them, not for me, but for them? And how can we make it meaningful? So again, as Rachel has just said, by opening up the question, by letting them know what you've seen, what you've spotted, what is what you've observed, it's just not like you. Um, you don't seem to be doing things that bring you joy. Um, and of course, then listening, as Rachel has explained to that answer, I think if we can be meaningful with our ask, if we can show that genuine intent, then we're more inclined to have people open up. And also remember that they might not open up fully. It might, you know, they may not be ready to tell you everything that's going on. It can take someone a long, long time to open up. It can take someone a long time to 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 say that I need I need some help. And of course, when we love and care for people, that can be frustrating for us. But we have to respect that this is their journey. This is what they are experiencing. So give them the time and the space to to open up. And. Rachel, I know Catherine mentioned this earlier um, as one of the barriers that people uh, sometimes have to not asking the question. Um, sorry, to asking the question. We hear people say, I'm not an expert. How would I know what to do to help someone? What are some really simple things we can do to encourage people to take action, to seek the support, um, maybe professionally, that they need to, to get themselves back on track? Yes, thanks, Nicola. The, that, as Catherine had alluded to before, a lot of people 
can refrain from asking the question because they do think I'm not an expert. Uh, do I have to diagnose? Do I have to support somebody actively? Do I have to have all the answers? So I would say the first thing is actually shifting your mindset, shifting your mindset to be able to remove yourself from that barrier. You know, your role is not to troubleshoot. Your role is not to have all the answers. Your role is not to fix this issue. Your role is not to be responsible for somebody's recovery because you can't. So firstly, it is about having a mindset shift that all I need to do, your role is to spot someone is not at their best. Your role is secondly to, after you've asked the question, had the courage and the confidence to ask the question, to just listen. And we've heard already before the powerful impact of listening and it being such an incredible micro skill that we can draw on to really assist and support somebody. And alongside that listening is is showing that empathy, demonstrating that concern and that care. It sounds like you're going through a really challenging time right now. Just even those little statements can just make someone feel as if you're, you're walking on that journey with them. And when the time is right in that conversation, it is helpful to transition to that that stage of action. And as Catherine said, it could be a transition statement such as, how can I support you right now? Uh, it can also be, I use a lot of words like we. What would be one thing we might be able to do together that might lighten the load for you a little bit right now? What's one step we could take that might assist and support you. And using words like we or together really demonstrates to someone already that they're not in this alone. And although you can't solve the problem or have all the answers, you're not going to be able to do that. You can be a wonderful connector into next steps. And that can be incredibly important. Some Sometimes someone might say to you, you know what, I feel so much better just after talking to you. I feel so much better after sharing the load. I don't feel as if I need anything further. That could be it. Or it may be you do feel as if it might be useful to somebody to connect a little further with professional support, such as seeing their GP and getting a referral into the Medicare scheme via a mental health care plan. Some organisations may have an employee assistance program where someone can link into. It could be encouraging people to go and talk to their manager at work if it's a work-related issue. It could be encouraging somebody to speak to a family member or a friend. So what we know is that using those words like we and together and how can I best support you right now transitions the, the conversation into an action mode. And then, of course, it is about following up with that person. You know, it is about actually let's catch up again next week and just see how you've gone with that action. And that way you're able to get in early if there hasn't, if the action hasn't been taken or if someone's had a roadblock with that, you can help to steer in the right direction. But we do know that getting into some professional assistance if someone needs it and is open to it can be very useful. And one way to encourage people is to even say, you know, I've sought professional assistance at a point in my life and I found it really useful. Or if you haven't and you can't say that honestly and openly, you could say I've connected in a few friends into, you know, going to have a chat to somebody a little bit more independently, an expert where you can maybe get a wellbeing action plan, where you can get some solutions on a way forward. Maybe you can get some ideas for your family on how you can manage this. So I think sometimes talking about 
professional support in terms of what they're going to get out of it. I can get an action plan. I can maybe get some solutions for a way forward. I can maybe bounce some ideas around with somebody independent. I can maybe get some strategies for myself and how I can come through this time. People are much more likely to engage in professional support if we really promote it from a, these are the benefits that you can get. So we know that to support others, we need to put our own oxygen mask on first. Catherine, what is your go-to strategy for topping up your own well-being? And as a leader, how do you encourage your team to do the same? Well, you know, linking back to what Rachel just said, I certainly um, speak to a professional when I'm feeling a bit overwhelmed or if I just want to keep up the um, the maintenance. I know sometimes we refer to our well-being as needing a bit of a checkup and a bit of maintenance to keep on track. Um, so I certainly do um, do engage in some chats with a, with a psychologist who I've connected with and I find that really helpful. Um, and my go-to is always just thinking about what makes me happy. So not judging myself on what makes other people happy. For example, um, I wouldn't consider myself a particularly sporty person. So I wouldn't say that, you know, playing sport tops up my well-being, but certainly being out in the sunshine, being out um, uh, with good walks or runs, something that clears my mind. I think something that lets my shoulders relax, let my shoulders drop. I really find that when there's a lot going on for me, my shoulders can be up to my ears. So what brings me joy? What brings me some relaxation? And I, of course, encourage my team to do the same and and to speak to people and and to reach out um, to professionals if they need some support. But a way that we have that notion of that psychological safety amongst our team is that we talk about what, what's good for our well-being, what we enjoy, because mm. then, of course, we can say to someone, how did you go with that mountain biking? Or how did you go when you went for that bushwalk with your children? Or we know what brings other people joy. So it's getting to know others in that respect. And also as a team, um, when we have our weekly Zoom meetings, as Rachel said, we've always got our camera on. Um, mm. At the end, we always do a rip round and I ask, what, what does everybody else, what would you like to share with the team? Uh, that's coming up for your week. So it could be something work-related or it could be something home-related. For example, I'm not going to have a very peaceful um, day because my partner is going to be on Zooms all day, so et cetera. So it's about Mm. asking people what's coming up for you and helping us to understand what's going on, what's on somebody else's plate. And we even sometimes have a, um, a busy week rating. So out of 10, what's my rating? And if someone's up at that kind of eight, nine, 10 level then as a team we all acknowledge that and we agree that okay if I've got something that I know I'd like to discuss with you and get off my plate but I now know that that's not going to be a good time for you I'm going to park that so that I don't overload them so I think it's Mm. about being aware aware of yourself and aware of each other it's so true I think people's plates are so full at the moment Um, I know that in our uh, big company team uh, meeting that we have you know, at least once a month where the whole company's there. Um, one of our psychologists ran us all through some wellbeing tips, but she said, and it resonated so much with me that you can often feel like you should be doing, you know, we know we should be exercising. We know we should be drinking more water. We know we should be doing all these things. But when our plates are so full, she said, try not to overwhelm yourself, but Pick your one go-to strategy 
and be really good at that one strategy um, so that you're not feeling like you're adding five other things to your already busy schedule. Rachel, I'll ask you the same question. What's your one go-to strategy for topping up your wellbeing? It varies, Nicola. It varies pretty much every day. I'm very conscious though to do something every single day and not every day is perfect. Some days Mm. it might be something I can do for 10 minutes. Some days it might be half an hour. Some days it might be an hour. So I think it's just about realizing that not every day is perfect and I match what I need to my energy levels. So exercise for me and getting outdoors, getting fresh air and sunshine and, uh, you know, is very invigorating for me, clears my head, but some days I'm tired. And so some days I might not feel like going for that run, but I might go for a walk instead. I spend a lot of time exercising my dog. I've got a little puppy now, so we (laughs) spend a lot of time outdoors taking the puppy for walks, uh, getting outside, getting in nature, or it could be just connecting with someone as well after a busy day. It could just be calling a friend or a colleague and just really taking a moment to connect. So I have a go-to strategy, but it varies every single day depending on how I'm feeling and what I feel as if I need. Like this morning, for example, I was supposed to get up and do my 6.30 Zoom exercise class and I swapped it for an extra 15 minutes of sleep (laughs) because I know that sleep is a very underutilized wellbeing strategy and I thought today I need sleep more than I need weights. So it's Mm -hmm. uh, around matching it and and viewing it but, but not beating ourselves up because not every day is perfect, especially at the moment when we're juggling so many things. It's so true. Sleep is definitely my strategy at the moment and that's keeping me going. Um... Well, thank you so much, both of you. Um, Catherine, thank you so much for being our guest and I wish you all the best for Are You OK Day 2021 and the campaign. Um, Rachel, as always, such insightful advice and guidance on having these conversations. Um, Thank you for joining us, both of you. You're very welcome. Thanks, Nicola. Thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure. So who will you ask today and what will you do to dive deeper checking in with them to see if they are really okay.